History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 24th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And this evening, we're going to creep you out with another urban legend. Wahaha. This is the legend of Black Aggie, and I think you're going to enjoy it. And before we get into that, one of the things that I love to do since I have eight to 10 hours of time every day to just listen to podcasts is when I find really good podcasts, I like to suggest them to our listeners because I think you might be interested in them. And one of those podcasts that I just found recently is the Curioso podcast, which is hosted by Christopher Scarborough and Joseph Taylor. And you can find out more about this podcast at the Curioso.com. What I really loved about this show, Denise, is remember when we went to Villains Night that Disney hosted at Hollywood Studios? Oh, absolutely. That was fun. And as most people know, villains are like my favorite thing when it comes to Disney. Yes, they are. So we saw in the program that Oogie Boogie, who happens to be from one of my more favorite movies, Nightmare Before Christmas, was going to do his own stage show. So we thought, eh, let's go see what's going on. What did you think it was going to be, Denise? I really didn't know because it was the first time, first time of a show. So I, I thought just... there'd be some dancing and some songs, probably from the movie. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Right. Or just, you know, yeah, some so I thought it would be or... a little stage production kind of thing. Well, that's what it started out as. Oogie Boogie came out and he had some dancers around him and he was singing his Oogie Boogie song. And then the show progressed into just marvelous stuff. I am a huge fan of sideshows and carnival the way they used to do it. And wouldn't you know, they had knife throwing, sword swallowing, and fire eating, which I hadn't seen done in quite some time. Was I just a little bit excited, Denise? Yes. It's, I almost thought I had to get her to pens. <laughs> I almost peed my pants. I was so excited. And the thing that is so cool about this Curioso podcast is I like to listen to like the pilot program. It's kind of like when you're going to start watching a series on TV or cable. You always want to watch the pilot, right? So you get a feel for what's going on. The very first show that they have that they had done was on sideshows and the history of sideshows. If you don't listen to any of their other shows, make sure you listen to that one. It was a fascinating history. And the thing that was really cool that kind of is one of those touch of synchronicity in this because for Denise and Mai's first show... For those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, it was Ripley's Auditorium in St. Augustine, Florida. And basically, Ripley's Auditoriums are sideshows. I mean, a lot of the characters and things that you would see there, you'd see at a sideshow. You'd go into the tent and you'd see the leopard man or the fat woman or something like that. You wouldn't have to turn on the learning channel to see my glorious 600-pound life. You could see it at one of their sideshows that they'd have. So not only was their first show about sideshows in the history, but then you come to find out that 
they are actual sideshow performers themselves. That is so very cool. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Scarborough is talking about, well, when I was learning how to swallow swords, and I was like, excuse me, what did he just say? (laughs) (laughs) And I was a little afraid the first time I went to eat fire. I was like, I bet you were. So just really cool. And the thing that's great about the show is it's very eclectic. That's why it's called the Curioso Podcast, because it's for curious people who want to know about different things. So I want to send you guys to uh, go check that out. It's a great, great show. And also, we want to point you towards our website, historygoesbump.com, where you can check out our blog, our emporium. We have archives for if you want to go back and listen to any of the other shows. Our most recent shows are up on the main page. Events, contact information, where you can hear our podcast, and where you can subscribe to the newsletter or donate to the show. Also, we always are looking for reviews. So if you can go to Stitcher or iTunes and put your reviews there, we would really love to have those. It just helps us get a little bit higher in the standings so that we can get more people over to the show. And if you have any suggestions for places or people or events that you'd like to hear about, send those to historygoesbump at gmail.com. Also, any of your comments, we'd love to hear them. And don't forget, there's only a couple days left until the end of January. That's January 31st of 2015. We are running our contest. you got to get registered before then. The way you register is to either sign up for the newsletter or join the Spooktacular Crew group page over at Facebook. You do one of those two things, it automatically registers you. We will pull one name out of the hat on February 1st, 2015. And whoever the lucky winner is, you'll get your choice of either a t-shirt or a mug with the History Ghost Bump logo on it. So make sure you do that. And I think that's all we needed to get into. So let's start this show. That sounds great. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com A secret experiment was conducted by the United States Navy at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in 1943 that was codenamed Project Rainbow, but is known today as the Philadelphia Experiment. Inventor Nikola Tesla began work with a group in the 1930s that were experimenting with the idea of moving through time and space, and the University of Chicago worked with these ideas to create a type of invisibility using these principles and electricity. The project moved to Princeton's Institute of Advanced Studies in 1939, and they reportedly were able to make small objects go invisible. Tesla came to the conclusion that this type of technology would not benefit man, and he was very right. The Navy used the ship the USS Eldridge to conduct its tests, and it began with animals. The test with animals proved successful and that the ship became invisible, but when it returned, many of the animals were missing, and those still on board were burned or full of radiation. The Navy decided to go forward with human testing. In October of 1943, the USS Eldridge was placed in a powerful electromagnetic field, and for four hours, the ship disappeared from radar. The USS Eldridge reappeared at a military base in Norfolk, Virginia, in front of several witnesses, and then it disappeared and reappeared where it started in Philadelphia, and the state of the crew 
was something found only in nightmares. Some men were missing, others were completely on fire, and still others had become a part of the ship, meaning that their torsos were locked into walls. Everyone still on board that survived became very ill. The Navy denies any such experiment. Others claim the story is a hoax. If the Philadelphia experiment did actually happen, then it not only is one of our greatest mysteries, but also an occurrence that certainly is odd. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. <laughs> this day in history. On this day, January 28th in 1807, the first street is lit by gaslight in London. This was 75 years before the first incandescent electric lamp would be invented and gas lamps were commonly used in the home. Gas lamps work in one of two ways, either indirectly with the gas mantle being heated by gas or directly by a flame that was fueled by a mix of gases. Typical fuel gases include methane, propane, butane, ethylene, carbon monoxide, natural gas, and hydrogen. In the early 19th century, gas lamps would have been lit manually. Before streetlights were invented, homeowners were required in some cities to hang a lamp from their front door to help light the road. The mayor of London had issued an order in 1417 that read, quote, Lanterns with lights to be hanged out on winter evenings between Hallowtide and Candlemas, end quote. In London, an act of the Common Council in 1716 requires that lamps be hung outside of homes from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. every night, and that anyone not following the law would face a fine of one shilling. William Murdoch became the first person to use gas for use in lighting. He lights his own home with gas lights in 1792. In 1798, he lit the main area of his workplace, the Soho Foundry Steam Engine Works, with gas lighting. German inventor Frederick Albert Windsor started a gas works in Britain in 1807, he made the first public demonstration of street lighting with gas lights on one side of Pall Mall in London. A few years later, in 1813, the Westminster Bridge was lit by gas lights. Today, many historic districts still use gas lighting out of nostalgia. Victoria from the Ninth Story Podcast. You're listening to the History Ghost Bump Podcast. History is boring. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Especially when it goes bump. Bump. Boo. Urban legends are the folklore of America. Many of these legends begin with truth, but they change and grow through the years as people share the stories. One such story is the legend of Black Aggie that has its origins in the Druid Ridge Cemetery. Could a simple cemetery statuary be cursed? Is someone reaching out from the afterlife? And why in the world do crazy humans challenge each other to test the spirits? 
because I know I wouldn't. <laughs> the unexplained or whatever. Who is Black Aggie and what is the legend? Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to say <laughs> crazy people testing spirits with all your superstitions around that. Don't tempt the spirits. <laughs> this story begins with a woman named Marion Adams. Her friends called her Clover. She was born in 1843 in Boston to Robert William Hooper. The Hooper family was wealthy, and Clover became a well-known socialite and amateur photographer. Henry James even claimed she was inspiration for his novel, The Portrait of a Lady. Clover's mother died when she was five, and she in turn grew very close to her father, who was a doctor. She married a writer named Henry Adams in 1872, who was the grandson of President John Quincy Adams, and he became utterly devoted to Clover. Adams became a professor at Harvard, and then the couple later moved to a home across from the White House in Washington, D.C. Clover's beloved father died in 1885, and she sank into a horrible depression. Clover used potassium cyanide to develop her photographs, and in December of 1885, she used that poisonous chemical to commit suicide as she sat before the fire in her bedroom. Potassium cyanide needs the stomach acids to be at a certain acidity in order for the compound to become hydrogen cyanide. Potassium cyanide was used by Nazis Eben Braun, Heinrich Himmler, Joseph Goebbels, and Hermann Goring and the People's Temple and Heaven Gate cults to commit suicide. Clover's husband found her dead, and the papers reported that she died suddenly from her heart stopping. Adams was crushed, and he decided to have a sculpture made in Clover's honor to be placed upon her grave at Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C. Awful way to die. I mean, if you're going to commit suicide, why not? I don't know. There's such less painful ways to do it. I just, I've never thought of just the poisoning and how... Just watching any time you see reenactments of poison deaths, I'm like, why would you choose that? And I never knew that it really is in relation to your stomach acids. If your stomach acids are not at the right acidity, you won't die from potassium cyanide. There's people who have survived trying to poison themselves, and that's why, because their stomach acidity wasn't at the right pH or whatever. But just think about what it probably did to Uh, their systems anyway. It's kind of like somebody drinking bleach. Yeah. And I mean, there's people who commit suicide doing that. It's just, you know, if you're going to do it, can you think of a less painful way or something? I don't know. Not that I'm endorsing suicide or anything like that. Sculptor Augustus St. Gaudens was an American sculptor originally from Ireland. He was well known for creating sculptures to honor Civil War heroes and creating the Double Eagle Golden $20 piece. Henry Adams asked Augustus to design the Adams Memorial. We've been in many cemeteries, and beyond that, we've seen all varieties of graveyard statuary. Many pieces are gorgeous, featuring crosses or angels. Some are cute, like the carved headstone of Gracie at Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. And then there are others that are just downright creepy, many of which are found in Europe. The Adams Memorial, which was dubbed Grief, is one of those creepy types of statuary featuring an androgynous figure draped in a cloak with vacant eyes in a seated position, its hand near its face. Grief took four years to finish and was inspired by both figures of Buddha and the works of Michelangelo. Henry Adams would never call the monument by any name, and he would never speak of the death of his wife. Normally, this is where the story would end, but not this story. General Felix Agnes was the publisher of the Baltimore American. He was born in France and fought in Napoleon's army against Austria. In 1860, he moved to New York to work as a silver chaser and sculptor at Tiffany & Company, which had opened in October of 1840. The Civil War broke out shortly after he came to America, and he joined the Union Army. 
His skill as a leader caused him to rise to the rank of brigadier general very quickly. He was only 26 years old. Agnes had been wounded so many times in battle that a friend claimed he, quote, had so much lead in him that he rattled when he walked, end quote. Agnes spent time in Baltimore recovering from injuries where he met Annie Fulton, the daughter of the then publisher of the Baltimore American. They married, and after a career working for the IRS and consul to Ireland for the United States Senate, he took over as publisher of the American from his father-in-law. In 1905, Agnes decided to have a family monument built at the Druid Ridge Cemetery. Druid Ridge Cemetery is a cemetery located outside of Baltimore, Maryland. The cemetery is not only the final resting place of pioneers in medicine, politicians, and war heroes, but it's also home to several of German sculptor Hans Schuler's creations. Agnes purchased a sculpture for the memorial made by sculptor Edward L.A. Pausch. This was not a sculpture designed by Pausch. It was a pirated design copied from the Adams Memorial's Grief Monument. This was not by permission, and Henry Adams wrote to a friend that, quote, Even now, the head of the figure bears evidence traces of some surreptitious casting, which the workmen did not even take the pains to wash off, end quote. Apparently, a granite supplier from Connecticut named John Saltier had hired Pausch to make the knockoff, and it told Agnes that Pausch had permission to make the copy. The only difference between the two statues is that the original was made from pink granite, while Pausch's was made with a stone of gray coloring. The original sculptor's wife sued Saltier and won. General Agnes decided to place the statue at the Agnes Monument anyway, and did so in 1907. Agnes faced scrutiny and criticism for the copied sculpture, but he claimed he was just an innocent victim. Agnes had a pedestal built for the sculpture and then had his mother's body brought over from France, and she was the first to be buried at the Agnes Memorial. Agnes's wife, Annie, died and was buried there in 1922, and Agnes joined her in 1925. The statue came to be known as Black Aggie based on her coloring and the fact that she sat at the Agnes Memorial. No grass would grow before the statue, but what did grow was the legend of Black Aggie. The sculpture no longer is in the Druid Ridge Cemetery, it was donated to the Smithsonian by the Agnes family because of the defacing the sculpture had received at the hands of graffiti artists and because of the lore building around the monument that brought unwanted attention. The Smithsonian decided they did not want a knockoff statue, and it was given to the General Services Administration, and they placed it in a courtyard at the National Courts Building in 1987, behind the Dolly Madison house, where it still sits today. And what was interesting is I was doing research. I just happened to put Black Aggie in the search at Facebook. And the first thing that popped up was this family that had been in Washington, D.C. a couple of days ago. They had seen, I guess, Travel Channel, Monumental Mysteries or something, did a little short clip on this. And they had seen it, and they were like, ooh, we'd like to go see that. And so they went around and looked for it, and then finally asked somebody who pointed them in the direction of it, and they had a picture that they had posted up on Facebook. So I uh, grabbed that and brought it over. So if you want to see what the statue looks today in its new place, you can see that in our show notes for today's show. This brings us to the urban legend. Numerous claims have been made about Black Aggie, all of which lead to the belief that this melancholy figure is cursed. Claims of a curse gained strength when people noticed that no vegetation would grow near the memorial. Rumors began to circulate that the spirits within the Druid Ridge Cemetery would gather around Black Aggie as though she were calling to them on certain nights. People would claim that if anyone met the vacant stare of Black Aggie for too long, that they would be struck blind. 
Still others claim that Black Aggie's eyes would glow red. And if a pregnant woman were to gaze upon Black Aggie, she would soon find herself miscarrying or giving birth to a stillborn child. Clover Adams had been unable to have children, and many attribute this curse to her. A fraternity at a college near Druid Ridge Cemetery decided that they wanted to include the statue in their hazing rites due to growing urban legend. New initiates were required to spend a night in the cemetery curled in the lap of the statue. Part of Black Aggie's lore was that anyone sleeping in the figure's lap at night would be strangled or suffocated as they slept. There is a tale about one such initiate being crushed to death. One evening, the cemetery caretaker heard a blood-curdling scream and found another initiate dead at the feet of Black Aggie. Two other fraternity brothers who had been with him had run away earlier after they claimed they saw the statue move and reach out and grab the initiate. Are these stories based in truth or just part of the legend? And the question that I always ask when it comes to these kinds of hazing events, now, if apparently anybody who lays in her lap dies... You're not going to have very many people joining your fraternity because are they all going to be dead? I don't know. Maybe it's going to be the fraternity of the walking dead. (laughs) I mean, that's why we know how frat boys can be. We do. (laughs) They like to do a little bit of drinking. Oh, okay. (laughs) Partaking of certain uh, substances. So one does wonder if they're not maybe a little bit... um, not clear thinking when they go into the cemetery and well when you're in the dark and your mind is going crazy with these weird tales you could tend to see things and maybe you see glowing eyes and then you end up running screaming from the place and what do they tell you 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 can't be part of the frat then because you didn't make it all night or yeah i'm not sure maybe we'll have to ask the monument soon faced desecration when young people would break into the cemetery and spray graffiti on the statue and its pedestal Groundskeepers placed thorny bushes around the statue to protect it, but people continued to vandalize the statue. Others placed coins in Black Aggie's hand for luck. One man who put his cigarette out in Black Aggie's hand was found dead a few years later, a victim of a gunshot to the head. Another individual sawed off one of Black Aggie's arms and claimed that the statue had done it to itself. He was put in jail. The legend of Black Aggie has reached the ranks of Bloody Mary. It is claimed that saying Black Aggie three times before a mirror in the bathroom at midnight brings the same results as those brought about by saying Bloody Mary three times. Black Aggie will appear behind you in the mirror and then stab you or take you for a ride to hell. There have been no reports of Black Aggie being a part of the supernatural activity since being removed from the cemetery. This may only be because many people are unaware of her new home or no one who sees the statue realizes that she is part of an ongoing urban legend. Or perhaps the legend has just died out a little bit. But the interesting thing is, when we were doing our research for Bloody Mary, I don't recall reading anything about how Black Aggie could be an alternative for Bloody Mary. But apparently a lot of people in the Maryland, Baltimore-specific area, this is a legend that they grew up with. So instead of talking about Bloody Mary as much, it would be Black Aggie that they would be talking about and challenging each other to call out to in the bathroom mirror. I wonder if somebody had done the... The Bloody Mary thing, like in their youth, and then, or even, even like as a visitor somewhere, and then when they went back, since Black Aggie had so much urban legends, the name just kind of switched for them. It's really funny that it would be almost the exact same story, but one's one and one's the other. And the fascinating thing about this urban legend, as it is with most urban legends, is that many of them go back for a hundred years or so. And that would be the case with Black Aggie. I mean, she basically, if you think the first time that she was placed in the cemetery in 1907, so that's well over 100 years, 
and I believe when they moved her from the cemetery, it was sometime in the 60s when the family finally said, we've had enough. Cemetery groundskeepers had had enough. So this is a legend that has outlasted a lot of that because this is a new generation coming in and they still know a bit about this. Right, which has brought it into urban legend standing. And as it goes with all urban legends, as we like to say here when we talk about urban legends, there's a little bit of truth probably in there somewhere. Whether you believe any of these stories that have been told or claims that people make, usually it starts with something that really did happen or has a little bit of truth in it, and then it grows from there. There's also that case where parents tell kids stories to try to scare the crap out of them and keep them from doing things. But I don't know how this would fall into that category. No, unless you have some pretty demented parents. <laughs> no, because what the funny thing is, the legend about Black Aggie didn't get people to like, don't go into the cemetery. They all came because that's they wanted to experience it. Because as you said earlier, don't tempt the spirits. I guess they wanted to. They're crazy. So does the spirit of either Clover or Henry Adams possess the Black Aggie? Is this somber statue cursed for some other reason? Are the stories about Black Aggie simply from imaginations of the living who just want to claim some part of the urban legend? The grass now grows at the Agnes Grave site. Is that just a coincidence? That is for you to decide. And I found a wonderful website that is on all different kinds of folklore and legends from around the world. But they do have a section that's on America's urban legends. And we do have a link in the show notes to that over at AmericanFolklore.net. It's a lot of great stories over there. And as a matter of fact, I had gone over there because I'm like, oh, I'd like to do another urban legends thing. I wonder which one we should do. And Black Aggie was the first thing that came up. And I went, huh, what's that? Because I'd never actually heard of it before. Yeah, it was very, very interesting because it's an urban legend I didn't grow up with either. So it's kind of fun to bring another urban legend into our Yeah, you and I were over on the other side of the country. Yes, we were. We're with Bloody Mary. That's right. (laughs) We could have a show, Bloody Mary versus Black Aggie, and that'd be awesome. Throw down. Who wins? <laughs> Actually, I think I'll step out of that one. But you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I want to play with that. Let's see. I could have Bloody Mary with blood leaking out of her eyes or the glowing red hellish eyes of Black Aggie. Hmm. Hmm. Let's have neither. I think I'll go get ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we leave that to the listeners? Have fun, y'all. <laughs> report back so that we can have a show on it. All right. Well, we uh, we want to invite you to join us for our next show. We've got some great stuff coming up here in February. Gosh, we're going into a whole new month. That's, it's amazing how fast time flies. Yes, it is. We're going to do the Rockwood Mansion, which can be found in Delaware on our next show. And uh, stay tuned. We've got a lot of great places that we're going to do. We're going to go across the pond. We're going to stay here and do some states we haven't done. And we also have a special show for Valentine's Day. So looking forward to that one. And we're also doing a little bit of work on doing a bonus cast that specifically deals with ghosts and the Bible. Yes, that will be really fun and interesting as well. Exactly. So looking forward to all that great stuff. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this show. This has been Diane. And Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.